0: Hi everybody, you're very welcome today. Uh, my name is Stephen Bowes. I'm head of technology for BSI's Cybersecurity and Information Resilience team. And We're here today uh, during a series. We're talking to a, a number of C-level partners and customers of ours, and um, with the goal to understand their challenges, solutions, and recommendations, and to share any predictions they have of the future within the cloud security space. And this enables us to put together social information and recommendations experience that existing and potential C-level clients can have access to and use to overcome the challenges that they are experiencing themselves. So I'm delighted today to be joined by Tom Conklin, who is the CEO at Drooba. And Tom, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for joining us today.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem at all. So Tom, th- th- before we start, what I'd like to do is just get a little bit of background about yourself. Tell me a little bit how you got to be CISO at Druva. What was the the journey your career took to, to bring you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, so I started my career in Silicon Valley here in, in California, um, working with, uh, in the audit profession. So I worked with, uh, for a CPA firm, for a number of uh, SaaS companies and, and early stage tech um, IPOs. And I worked with some of the, um, the guys that are, are um, leading the SaaS transformation This, you know, nowadays. It's uh, companies like Okta and Box. And as an auditor, I realized that I didn't want to um, audit programs, I wanted to build programs. I wanted to build security and, and really products. And so decided I'd move out of auditing. And I've worked with a number of different uh, SaaS tech companies who are currently at Druva. Um, leading security team here um, trying to tackle some of the challenges around uh, data management
0: fantastic and you know there's an incredible amount of uh, data and applications moving to the cloud over the last couple of years driven by obviously digital transformation strategies companies coming up with a a cloud first or a cloud only uh, strategy so the role of the C's or the role you you currently hold is becoming even more crucial than it was previously the number of vectors is is increasing the surface area and so on and so forth so with that in mind uh, and given the rate of change you've seen in the past how do you see uh, the role of the CISO evolving over the next three to five years in terms of um, existing or indeed new challenges that that CISOs will face in, in that time frame?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I think we've seen this for a little while now, but I think it's only going to accelerate, which is, you know, we still have a lot of legacy. Um, unless you're a new company just starting nowadays, you're going to have a lot of legacy uh, systems and and on-premise uh, tools and, and applications. And you have this mandate or this challenge from either the, the board of directors or if you're in the public sector, it might be you know, branches of the government saying, hey, we, we want to be cloud-first, we want to adopt the cloud. And, and so you have to figure out a way to um, adopt the new and protect the old. And there's, there's uh, a lot of differences between those. And so the, the number of things that have um, that have Become risks or threats to your data or to your organization um, have have gone up exponentially with this transition. We've also seen um, uh, an additional burden from a regulatory standpoint in the case of privacy regulations or um, cybersecurity regulations uh, in general, and not outside of just PII. And so that's um, made the job uh, a bit of from being traditional kind of IT corporate security to being. Risk and compliance to also being a mix of legal and being a mix of uh, operations, uh, uh, you know, and that's that's put way more responsibility on the CISO role in general.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we've seen a number of challenges with our clients uh, in this space. You end up with hybrid cloud, not because it may be a strategy, but just as you say, there's a number of legacy or uh, older, you know, pieces of software, or whatever, that just simply won't port across or get the benefits. So we're seeing uh, uh, challenges such as integration challenges, where you have you're trying to bring in, an, uh, you know, an end-to-end system talking to each other, but some of it's in the cloud, some of it's not. Very hard without APIs to get them talking, and as a result, you end up trying to pull reports reporting from multiple data sources and stuff like that. The other challenge we're seeing is service delivery, of course. So you are outsourcing that delivery to the cloud service provider. That's a good thing in a lot, in a lot of cases, but also you're seeding control as well. Um, and they're reliant upon the CSP, the cloud service provider providing that service delivery. So if there is an issue a performance impacting one, for example, you know, Right now, the support team are going, well, we're in touch with our cloud service provider and they're going to give us an update in an hour's time, stuff like that. So that can be a challenge depending on on the criticality of the applications and the data, you know? So that, oh, that, that's an interesting one. Um, oh, the third one, just uh, as we, we talk about this topic is is the increase in legals, uh, terms and conditions, SLAs, OLAs, so the service level agreements, the operating level agreements, and so on and so forth. Uh, much higher reliance, and to get them right on both sides, of the equation, both from a client and cloud provider perspective, I'm sure you've seen that in your role um, in terms of providing these data management as a service uh, solutions.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's a, a pretty large challenge. A lot of companies are struggling with is they they don't, you know, especially if they're new to the cloud or they're, they're just adopting these new services. Um, just because you know, we use the term the cloud, and I generally try to avoid using that. Um, which is um, um, our marketing team uh, gets mad at me sometimes, but the cloud is a broad term, right? And and in general, we're moving to these managed services. It could be an application that's delivered. Um, it could be an integration platform. It could be a uh, uh, infrastructure platform, right? Something like a uh, like AWS or or Azure. And there's all sorts of different challenges and different um, um, obligations under those. And so, you know, legal teams in general that are usually negotiating these contracts, they're not technology experts and, and they will take what, what's what been explained to them in one situation and think that this applies in another situation and, and it may or may not. Um, and that's where we spend a lot of time um, in our service because of kind of the way we were architected. Um, we, we try to minimize our access to customer data and minimize our um, The risk of what we can do because we don't want that, Um, and then we see these terms and contracts where they're thinking of uh, our our solution just like you know your you know hosted email system, and they want us to agree to all the same terms, and and it really doesn't make sense for the um, the service, right? And so this is where it's it's we're trying to find that balance between having coverage uh, from a from a contractual standpoint or legal standpoint, and also matching it with what the actual service is doing, and this is is not just like a a black and white uh, situation. Uh, It's very nuanced. And so the more we can, I don't know, as as an industry, come up with, um, I think, uh, types of these um, uh, delivery models and and break down what is really required in each, um, it will be very helpful. I think AWS I'm very familiar with. I'm sure the other providers do this as well, but they provide a lot of documentation around the shared responsibility model. And I think that in general, a lot of companies need to start doing a similar thing if they're providing um, services, even if they're a SaaS service, to be like, hey, here's the things around our product that that you may not be aware of that you need to be thinking about how you handle because we don't take 100% of it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting, and you're right about the AWS documentation. I have to say, um, as a user of AWS, um, their documentation is second to none. Going onto the, to, to to their landing platform, just begin to type in a couple of keywords, it all comes straight up. It's all it's, it's all filtered and indexed, and it's really readable. It, it's very well done. It's very informative. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's, it's very important uh, you say, for, for that documentation to be absorbed by the, by the users. Um, so switching tact a little bit and talking about threats, so obviously when we talk about threats in the industry, it evolves, it's evolving on a day-to-day basis. Um, but in your mind's eye, based on your experience of the company you're with, um, what are you seeing as being some of the most significant threats at the moment? either? you mentioned about cloud and not want to mention cloud, but just in terms of uh, cyber security in general information security and um, what do you think are the most significant threats that face organizations currently
1: yeah yeah and so you know i i can speak to to what we see right which is um we see uh, as a data management you know provider you know we hear about a lot of um, ransomware a lot of cases where data has been lost and they need to uh, recover from a backup um or um, or you know uh, get their data back. The um, that seems to be uh, it. Kind of, that kind of goes in waves, right? We'll see some some new export ransomware attack. We'll see a bunch of activity around that, and then people kind of forget about it. I think you know this is a um, uh, a symptom of the underlying problem, which is that that we need as a as a industry or as professionals for whether it's your CISO or your CIO. Um, need to have a comprehensive approach to how you um, manage data and manage systems. And a lot of these things, you know, it's not not necessarily um, the 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 ransomware is just a symptom of of kind of the root cause, which is, you know, you don't have the proper uh, cadence for patching, or you don't have the proper monitoring or insight of where data is, and, and you know, now that something bad happens. Um, you're like, oh crap, we had all these um, you know, sensitive records on someone's laptop that weren't stored in our, our shared drive which had the proper management, had the proper controls. And so now we have to pay a ransom to get the data back off the laptop. And so the, the, it's a challenge and a struggle for companies to have the, the right oversight of where their data lives. Um, and to solve for that, we can look at things like backup, right? Um, But that's not necessarily fixing the problem you can you can we would love you to do it because you know we we provide a backup solution but the really the root cause is you need to have the right discipline within your company to know where your data is to know how it's protected and secured because just because you have ransomware and you can get come up come recover that from a backup doesn't mean um, you're not going to be exposed to that data potentially being leaked what if uh, What if somebody, instead of encrypting your data, just copied it off that machine, right? If you don't patch things, if you're not monitoring things, then those are the risks that you're gonna be carrying this company. So we see a lot of that.
0: Yeah, we, yeah, you're right, and you know we're speaking now in, in July 2019, at the moment. So just in terms of something we've seen recently, obviously we, we've seen. In, so to your point about insider threat, and it, it could be accidental insider threat. You know, um, we've seen it recently with with, with Salesforce um, having some major issues as a result of uh, badly badly run and executed scripts across their estate, um, and and taking quite a, a bit of time to to reconcile those. You know. Um, the other significant that we're seeing as well, uh, and that's rising, is the, the machine learning because machine learning or, um, of course, they, people calling it artificial intelligence, but uh, we know it's not really yeah. that, but machine learning um, is, is seen as a boon uh, industry and rightly so. You know, you plumb in your your, your data, it'll process at, at an incredible rate and come out with all kinds of outputs. But but the reverse of that is also being worried about, which is where we are seeing, for example, DDoS attacks from unpatched IO, IoT devices. So suddenly instead of yep. using a uh, CNC with servers and laptops, which which is a certain number, let's say 10 million or 50 million. But if IoT takes off the way we, everybody is predicting, we are talking billions of devices. We're talking not hundreds of millions, we're talking billions and uh, stuff like that. So these are kind of threats that we're seeing. And and one talk we're seeing in the industry, you now it's, it's very much pie in the sky stuff at the moment, it's, it's idealistic stuff, is a holistic industry approach. So if we take, for example, the levels of threat intelligence that Microsoft have, that Amazon have, And other major companies, including Druva, it would take a a holistic industry approach where they come together under some form of, like, it could be a governmental framework or whatever, to merge that data, you know, and bring out a a full threat uh, remediation series of actions out of that. Now, at the moment, it's very much, uh, you know, an idealistic solution because these are all individual companies doing their own thing. Um, But it would take some kind of movement like that to really. Uh, then some of the significant threats we're seeing coming out of the major cybersecurity gangs and some of them as you know there's a big link with state funded or state-sponsored criminal activity so it's a big significant challenge the industry faces that's for sure
1: yep yep absolutely and I I think one of the one of the challenges we have especially as you bring up IOT is you know the IOT can can range in, in sophistication and what you're trying to do you could have A simple sensor that sits outside and and monitors you know the weather or the the rain water and and tells your sprinklers when to water right and okay that that may not be able to do okay worst case it turns your sprinklers on when it doesn't need to you waste some water um now it's if that can be you know from a security standpoint we think okay well the threats of what this can do are pretty low it's not going to really affect a lot um maybe um you know it's um maybe you put some kind of you know loose oversight over that um, but what if it's used for a botnet what if it's used to take down all our services um, and then what about the you know the things that aren't so you know simplistic right and and we think of it as simplistic but behind it there's a lot of things that can go wrong um, these are very complicated systems and, and now we've connected all those you know billions or trillions of these devices to the internet um, and in in you know the the non-cyber world or, or the physical world we'd have know consumer protection regulations and you have things that that go around how you can um what you can sell what you can can build but the internet doesn't have any borders so you could have a a product being sold anywhere in the world and um any kind of you know uk or us or eu or or even you know other international markets um, regulation is not going to extend to those manufacturers elsewhere so how do you protect from a botnet of you know a trillion devices running out of say africa um, that's traffic hitting your servers running in, in Singapore, you know, you just, it's a very difficult problem to solve. Um, so I yeah. think you're, you're right. I think we need to have some kind of, um, multinational agreement or some kind of oversight, or we need to solve it with the, at the, um, the internet, like higher levels within the internet. We need to be able to find this and proactively stop this kind of bad behavior. Um, but that of course means a less open internet, which is, goes against what we've, um, Kind of built the internet to do from the get-go and that's a scary thought that that could be also abused and, and used by certain interests so it's yeah. I don't have a really good solution for that but I think it's gonna be a, a bigger and bigger challenge and so what we can do is and what we need to do is design our systems to to take into account that that's going to be a risk and that's going to be a challenge for us
0: yeah for sure for sure um, so switching tactics a little bit and talking about uh, Druva obviously being a data management as a service company so you guys are responsible for an incredible amount of data. I don't even know what the latest figures are on your slides. It's an incredible amount of data for for thousands of customers, including ourselves. We're we're not just partners, we're clients as well. Um, And they say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And obviously we're seeing some, uh, some movement in the industry recently with Amazon Um, and with Microsoft in terms of backup and begin to put some cloud backups uh, uh, functionality and offerings together very much in their infancy. And they're very much behind you guys. You guys are over 10 years, uh, you know, perfecting your product. So talking about these threats that we've just been speaking of the last few minutes, um, what are some of the technology steps that Dhruv are taking with the responsibility they have, with the data that you're managing for your clients? What are some of the technology solutions you've put in to uh, mitigate against those threats?
1: yeah that's a great question so you know as we're we're, both, we're built and hosted 100 on aws the um and aws is a great partner it helps us um build uh a, a solution that is for for the size the company we are um much larger than what companies could have done pre aws um, you know time and so you know i think we support um around 12 regions of aws so if you're a company of ours and you say hey i have a i have a regulation that says my data for these sets of users these employees has to reside in the eu or has to reside in japan or things like that we have local storage regions and what we're doing is we're using the aws regions that they make available in in there and so that gives us tremendous flexibility from a data residency and and compliance standpoint Um, the, the couple other things we're doing is we're taking advantage of the um the technology since we were built on on aws to be um, cloud native we can take advantage of uh technologies using things like dynamo db and s3 to do a uh, deduplication across your organization and we can uh, really lower the amount of storage that is required because in the cloud you pay for consumption and so one of the challenges i think a lot of companies face is when they they try to migrate to the cloud um, or to a, a, infrastructure as a service provider they just take a vm that they ran on in-house and they move it up to a a location somewhere and it runs 24 7 and it it uses the same amount of resources or possibly more uh, depending on the network um, than it did when it was in their data center and that incurs a huge cost and we've really optimized for that right and so those those are kind of the advantages the cloud gives us we also gives us great visibility into um, the activity that's happening so we're using native um, capabilities of AWS um, as far as um, the VPCs and security groups and CloudTrail and config and all these capabilities they give us from a security standpoint. Um, we also run a number of third party solutions and and hire external firms and things to do all the testing and and, um, we run vulnerability scans and those types of offerings. So I I think AWS will continue to add and expand on these capabilities. We we wanna be one of the early adopters uh, of their new capabilities. Uh, we, they just announced one of the um, one of the security tools or capabilities last week. I think it was with VPC uh, um, traffic mirroring, where you can um, one of the limitations you couldn't do before was like a network uh, IDS or IPS type system in AWS, and now they have a way to um, replicate your traffic, and you can start monitoring that, logging that, looking for threats. And that's something that that we're be piloting and testing out to see if it makes sense for us. Um, but it's that's those are things where the the cloud is very quickly or if not now has exceeded some of the capabilities that we had before, where it cost you say a hundred thousand dollars in a box and professional services and consulting. we can now um, adopt those very rapidly, test them, make sure that it makes sense, and then add it um, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it's fantastic, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, the, the use of of serverless uh, computing, the use you know microservices, lambda functions, it's just incredible what you can do. Uh, with with you know using the AWS functionality that they provide, it's it's just magnificent stuff, and, and and it's a real I wouldn't even call it evolution. I think it's been a revolution what they've done in the last couple of years as a subset within within you know IT and uh, information security. It's 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 been fantastic. So so given all of this work that you've done and and the, you know the the developing um, environment that you've created within AWS is there any lessons learned what would you do differently or would you give any advice worth sharing to anybody looking to to move into AWS just stay with AWS for the moment I suppose Um, based on all of this experience um, you know what would be Would anything worth sharing any lessons learned from the experience that you guys have had
1: yeah I think you know the, the there are so The big advantage of AWS, like you said, is is the speed, is the adaptability, is things like Lambda where you can be up and running. The downside of that is that if you don't plan it properly, you don't have the right monitoring. You can um, it can be very costly um, to use some of these things. Um, And so, having as early as possible, having um, some kind of oversight or or review, we have a dedicated person that that watches um, and plans for the resource utilization of our service and our system and and i think companies that can do that this is outside of real peer security but um the the openness of AWS means that you can spin up whatever you want you can adopt um, new technology new tools and we want to have a culture where where employees feel empowered to try that and do that but you need to counter that with some kind of um, oversight from a finance and budgetary standpoint uh, and understand what's being run what's being used otherwise you'll build something that's um, too expensive and no one wants to buy at the same time you need a security oversight right and make sure that things are properly configured and and built so one of the things you know so we've we've done the piece around finance we're also we also have a function around security that tries to provide uh, a framework and and best practices and then monitoring and, and auditing of what's being built and what's being done and and so it's not as simple as just hey i can stand this thing up and poc it in in a short period of time. You need to think about the product delivery as, as all those things, right? It needs to be, how do you support it? How do you secure it? How do you manage costs? Um, and the availability piece has largely been abstracted, but even then, it depends on what service you're using.
0: So. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, that's a good point. From like one experience, I would say to to anybody who's in the middle of this journey or, or you know, certainly uh, starting out on it, is to, you know, projects like this, be, are based on um, traction. They're based on progression. So uh, you really want to build up traction um, with your cloud adaptation as you go. Um, you don't want to put a difficult project at the at the at the outset of your cloud journey um, because you need to maintain um, stakeholder buy-in. So you want to get those early projects, up those quick wins, those successes, and build the build that kind of traction, build up momentum with with stakeholders. You know you're going to come into problems as you go towards those kind of yellow and you know the amber and red projects. You know there's going to be challenges and so on and so forth with legacy apps and integration and, and portability and all that jazz so what you need to do is build attraction that so that's one of the key things if, if you go out there at the outset of the project put a really difficult one have a challenging uh cloud migration you, you could find yourself just up up against it a little bit internally um with your stakeholders as, as time progresses so that you know so these are just some of the lessons that we've learned from other uh clients who have done cloud migrations so it's pretty interesting stuff you know
1: Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. And those to show the the quick wins are, I think are incredibly important. And then also think, you know, from top down, like what can you do now that enables you to do things in the future um, that might not be possible and think, you know, think broader on what is the, what does this new service allow me as an organization to do that we couldn't before? Um, one of the things, you know, our, my team does is we, we run our own tooling in our own AWS account. Um, to, to cover different areas of, of Druva and our company. Um, and we, we found with some of the, the security monitoring we were doing for our, our endpoints, is that the security tooling is, is not limited to um, just looking at security events. We can also look at performance data. And so we, which have, we have an agent that runs on Mac and Windows to back up endpoints, Mac, Windows, and Linux. And because we control the environment, we can start logging that data and we can move it into some kind of um, database we're using Elasticsearch, uh, amazon's Elasticsearch service and then we can expose that data to our qh to see okay well, let's look at how our the druva agent actually works when we're doing a backup and let's let's figure out performance data and, and metrics to improve our product and make sure that we find issues before our customers do and, and that would have been something very difficult pre AWS because we don't have a, a giant team to to be experts on managing these databases, but AWS makes this available. And we still gotta make sure we secure it and we get the, the right data to the right people. Um, but those are the things that if you can demonstrate the value to the company, then it, it makes everyone really excited about what the cloud offers.
0: Yeah. Providing real business value. That's that's really what it drives it down to. Absolutely. 100%. Um, tell me something. We have a lot of information security professionals listening to us today. Um, and as you say, the, the AWS is evolving its product literally on, on a minute by minute basis, the amount of code and DevOps that's going into the background all the time. Uh, we do get the big, the, the big announcements, as you've just mentioned there. But behind all of that is continuous development. In terms of advice that you could give or I could give to some of our information security professionals listening who need to keep up to date with these developments you know without being overwhelmed obviously as security professionals they are expected um, as part of their roles to to have this oversight but when things change on an ongoing basis what would be some advice you would give to those people in terms of staying up to date on developments especially as they relate to uh, the security elements
1: yeah that's a great one Um, I think you know if you're gonna use uh, a vendor like AWS or even Azure um, the you know, if you're at any decent size, you're gonna have your account managers, people like that. And you'll want to, if you're using a public cloud provider, um, you're gonna have an account manager use that resource. You know, they, they want to provide information about the new capabilities and features, and they're not gonna be a, um, like a, necessarily a spam or generic email that's not useful for you. Um, so get connected with your provider. Also, find a community, um, if you're not in one already, find uh, Infosec Slack group or something where you can um, be around like-minded people and on more of a daily basis and be seeing the activities and the, the chats because someone's going to see something cool and, and message it out and then you can um, you'll know about it before others.
0: That's, that's a good point. Um, we're coming towards the end of our time, uh, just one or two more quick questions, Tom, in terms of next technologies, the next batch of tech coming down the line, what, what, what do you think is, is coming down over the next kind of one to three years that will impact the industry? Um, we could talk about cloud, but it could be, it could be you know, uh, information security in general. What are some of the technologies that you have your eye on or, or certainly on your radar or on Drew's radar over the coming year or two?
1: Yep. You know, I I think we we're seeing more and more uh, technologies built around machine learning and AI. Yep. So we're we're seeing more and more technologies around machine learning and AI. We're seeing the uh, the amount of data we're getting is is and collecting is massive and it's growing exponentially. We see that within our customers, and we see that within our own company. We're also seeing more and more um, um, purpose-built applications for different functions. So these are things, you know, like some someone in our marketing team, you know, wants to use a new tool for demand gen, or or someone in our finance team wants to use a new solution for expense management and things like that and these are great that provide them visibility but they also uh it's what it's done is it's it's made it so there's a whole lot more things that can be attacked and things that we need to think about from a, a data management security privacy standpoint so i think there's going to be technologies we're starting to look at some of these but ability to understand where your data is where it lives uh, what's the risk behind it what's the um, the potential exposure and and getting your arms around that in this kind of zero borders world, right? It's not, everything's not on an S drive anymore. It's out in different apps and it's, um, it's being shared. It's being um, integrated into communication systems. It's being integrated into visualization, BI tools. And so I think the, there's a number of promising technologies coming out that will give companies greater visibility and control over that data. And that's something that I think is going to be incredibly important for companies in in the next, you know, three to five years.
0: That's a great point. Great point. And as a a final query, if I may, we speak to our clients all the time around organizational resilience and specifically information resilience. So in your opinion, um, what would be your advice to for organizations to become more resilient against the, the security threats and challenges that we've been discussing over the last uh, half an hour. Or so, um, what are the kind of the top three? If, if you were meeting somebody and said, "Look, I've just joined as a CISO in this new organization," what would be the top three tips you you would give that person in order for them to build their resilience against those threats?
1: I, okay. So, number one tip I would say is whatever you think the problem is, you've underestimated it. I think you're you're as CISOs in general, we don't um, we don't ask for enough. We don't um, whether it's resources, whether it's commitment from the team. Um, so number one is is you've underestimated the problem. Think about the, pro- the problem is much bigger than you expect. Number two would be um, we need to stop thinking about um, security as a separate department or as like a compliance checkbox. And we need to think about security as a competency of the business. Right? The same way that we think about um, you know, product, you know, delivery needs to be scalable and needs to be of high quality and have a good user experience. We need to think about, and it's also secure, right? That needs to be built into how we build things, how we do things. And so the the more you can change that mindset, I think a lot of people nowadays, um, especially in in development teams, engineering teams, I've I've, I've never, at least in my experience, met an engineer that says, um, I don't want to write secure code, or I or a product person that says i don't want to build a secure product but it's they don't understand the, the potential negatives and impacts. so the more you can do to educate them on on and enable them to to know what what the right solution is um, will be incredibly valuable so that, that's two and then um three um i don't know three three would be hard um there's a million things that could be three so.
0: No, no problem at all, no problem at all, and I certainly wouldn't argue against it. It's funny, coming from financial services and a legacy uh, industry uh, from many years ago, uh, you're right to, to take your point about um, security being integral to the company's um, operational piece. Um, years ago, if we saw the security officer coming down the corridor, we all ran for different rooms. As uh, when I ran, as I went through different phases of my own career, as being a DBA and and as a project manager and other stuff, security man. Um, you know, it was certainly seen as a service. It was certainly seen as as a as a as a gate with, on the life cycle that you had to get through. Um, to get your project live, to get your to get your you know your your change in, and it certainly changed. And I think I think the way the threat landscape has changed and the way there are now high levels of penalties and there's a lot of publicity around breaches and so on certainly the whole the whole mindset set has changed in the industry now and it's very much part and parcel of um, the success of your businesses and being a USP indeed for some companies if they've got a really strong security posture it can make a difference in tenders and 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 so on and so forth
1: absolutely and and it should be you know the the attitude that oh we have to clear security um, shouldn't be a scary thing like we should we should know up front um, you know if, if a product's being delivered and it's got to go through security review and the the person submitting it doesn't know whether or not it'll pass then we've we failed at our jobs to um really build a culture of awareness um it should be as simple as well i know whether or not this will pass a qa test now of course you find bugs and unforeseen issues but it it should be, okay, I've, I've done what I need to do. I know my product. I know my, my future is secure, and, or the solution I'm implementing is secure. Now let's go have the experts prove that, right? Um, and I think when you can, if you can get to that position, then you're much stronger because you know, security, we, we talk about defense in depth, and it really is not just around the technology, but it's also around the mindset and the culture of how you've, you've run your entire company.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, listen, Tom, I'd like to thank you. You've provided some seriously uh, excellent insights there into into a range of topics. Uh, Our guest today was Tom Conklin, CISO at Druba. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you, Tom. Thanks very much.
1: Thank you, Stephen. Thanks very much for having me.
0: And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you.